ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Tonight then, insha'Allah ta'ala, in this gathering, as you are aware, we wish to discuss some of the points regarding this festival which occurs at this time of year, that known by the name of Halloween, and what we as Muslims need to understand regarding these types of events that go on. We know, as we've mentioned before many a time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completed our religion for us. Everything we need to know to get to paradise, then we have been taught. And everything we need to be warned against, to keep us safe from the fire, then we have been warned against. That is exactly why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent. He was sent, يَدْعُوا إِلَى التَّوْحِيدِ وَيُنْذِرْ عَنِ الشِّرْكِ He was sent to call to Tawheed and to warn against shirk. And Allah said in the Qur'an, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم On this day I have completed for you your religion. So we know the religion of Islam is complete. We know that everything we need to get to paradise we have been taught. And everything which is bad for us we've been warned against. Because the greatest affair is the affair of Tawheed, and the greatest warning is the warning against shirk. أَعْظَمُ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ التَّوْحِيدِ وَأَعْظَمُ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ الشِّرْكِ The greatest thing that Allah commanded us with is Tawheed, and the greatest warning is the warning against shirk. That becomes very important to our topic tonight. It becomes very important to our topic tonight. Because you will become aware, many of these customs that exist, many of these ceremonies, celebrations, festivals, customs that exist, often have roots, often begin at some point where they were connected to a form of shirk. And Halloween is no different. It is mentioned by many of the historians that the origins that are researched and thought to be the case 
that many of them believe the origins of Halloween came from the pagans. Pagans who used to be upon the worship of all types of deities, used to be upon the worship and obedience of all types of deities and gods that they used to believe in. Many of the historians believe that the roots and the source of this festival came from the pagans. The issue here is what? The issue here is, is it allowed and okay for Muslims to participate in these festivals? Is it okay and is it allowed for Muslims to dress up in the dresses of ghosts and skeletons and to buy the pumpkins and do all of those things? Is it allowed to do that or not? To answer the question, if we understand what Halloween really is and where it came from, it will make it clear to us, everybody will understand very clearly whether a Muslim should participate in those festivities, and in reality all they have become for the majority of people is a festivity which is a money-making business these days. Halloween in fact generates the second highest amount of income for the U.S. economy from festivals after Christmas. It is a business. When you go now to the shops everywhere, everything being sold is Halloween, Halloween. So the point is here, if we understand where it came from and what it really is, then a Muslim understands whether he should be participating or not. Because it isn't just a simple case of saying, it's just something innocent, it's no problem, what's the big deal? Everybody can talk like that. But when you realize where this event came from, then it may change your perception about it. So they say that this particular event of Halloween in history, and they have different research on it, but it is thought to have originated, to have first been started by the ancient Celtic festival, an ancient Celtic festival where people would light bonfires and would wear costumes to ward off roaming ghosts. This is what they mention. That the origin of this event was an old Celtic festival whereby the people would dress up in various costumes, hoping to ward off the ghosts. And this festival of theirs used to be called Samhain. Samhain was the name of this particular festival from 2,000 years ago, that these people used to engage in, 
and that was in the areas of the United Kingdom in Ireland and those places. It was done because at this particular moment, 31st of October, leading on to the 1st of November, this day for them marked the end of summer and the end of the harvest season and the beginning of which season now next? Winter. So with that transition occurring, with that change in the seasons occurring, from the summer and the light and the harvests, moving into the winter and the darkness and the short days, when that change of seasons used to occur, they used to think this was a time of year that is linked to death. They used to associate this time of year to human death. So the Celts believed that on the night before the new year, because they used to have November the 1st as the beginning of the new year. Now they say January the 1st. In those days, 2000 years ago, the Celts used to consider November the 1st as the first day of the new year. And they used to consider that as the first day of the winter season of coldness, of dark. And they used to associate that to death. So the night before that occurred, the night before the winter season began, and the night before is what date? 31st of October. On the night of 31st of October, The Celts believed that the boundary between the world of the living and the world of the dead became blurred. They had this idea that summer is about life and winter is about death. So that night when the seasons changed over from summer to winter, they said that night, The night of 31st of October is a night where life and death cross over. Life season finishes, death season begins. That night is the night where they swap over. So that night they said was a night when the boundaries became blurred. Meaning some of the dead maybe went over and came into this world. So they used to believe that night, the night of the 31st, was when some of the dead, the deceased would come, and they would be present. So they believed that the ghosts of the dead would come back to earth. And they believed that those ghosts would do harm to them. And they would do harm to their fields and their crops. And they believed that the presence of these ghosts, these spirits, they used to believe the presence of the ghosts and the spirits on that night makes it easier for their priests to tell the future. Ilmul Ghaib. 
the crystal balls and all of those things looking into the future. They used to believe on that night when the ghosts and the spirits are out. It actually helps their priests to predict the future. Again, that we know Islamically is completely haram, shirk, kufr. For a person to believe that he knows the future, that he can do the crystal ball, he can do the cards, he can read your palm. All of these things and activities are haram in Islam. Haram to go to the magicians, haram to go to the sorcerers, to the fortune tellers, to the crystal ball, to the card readers, the hand readers. All of this is shirk. Because knowledge of the unseen is for Allah alone. We do not have knowledge of the future and of the unseen. They used to believe on that night when the ghosts and the spirits come out. It actually helps them to get knowledge of the unseen. Those people on that night used to therefore build huge bonfires. And the people would gather together to make sacrifices. Because they believed the ghosts and spirits were out. And that those ghosts and spirits were going to harm them. So they needed to do something to please the ghosts and spirits and make them happy. So the ghosts and spirits don't do anything to them. So they used to build these bonfires and they used to do sacrifices upon them. Sacrifices upon the bonfires. And they used to believe that making these sacrifices would allow the ghosts and the spirits to keep away from them. As time went by in different cultures, they did similar things. They used to leave out milk and cookies, milk and other foods on their doorstep from centuries ago, believing that this would be an offering to the ghosts and to the spirits. And that by giving this offering to them, leaving this offering of drinks and snacks at the door, the ghosts and the spirits that were alive on that night, they would not harm them. And they would not do bad to them. On top of that, the Celts used to wear costumes on that night. Just as you see the tradition of the people now. They would dress up in various costumes. Normally made up of animal heads and skins. Made up of animal heads and skins. And they would dress up in those costumes. And they would set up these bonfires. And they would make their sacrifices. This is what they were upon in terms of their beliefs and activities. Other historians have mentioned also that actually Halloween has a link to a Christian festival too. There used to be a Christian festival, not just the uh, Celtic festival, but that there was a Christian festival also. That used to occur on the 1st of November. So 31st of October was the eve of that festival. And this Christian festival was 
that they used to remember their dead on that day. They used to remember their martyrs on that day. And their holy saints on that day. This was a day known in the Christian calendar of old. The 1st of November, the eve of it, the 31st of October. A day that they would remember their saints. A day they would remember their priests. They would remember their deceased and their dead. They would go to the graveyards, light candles upon the graves. These types of activities they all used to do on that night of 31st of October and the 1st of November. So they used to think this was a day of honoring the dead. So you can see from this brief background to this festival. It isn't just an innocent festival that was made up. The roots of this festival come from the Celts, from the Christians, that they had certain events on that night, events that were linked to superstition, events that were linked to their belief that ghosts and spirits come out on that night, events linked to them offering sacrifices on that night. And then from that, original source of events, this night, the Halloween night, it progressed and progressed until it became what we see now, that the people, they dress up in the costumes of ghosts, and skeletons, and spirits, all from the origin of the Celts, what they used to believe, of the ghosts and the spirits coming out on that night. They then go, Home to home, performing the trick or treat. The origin of that, some of the historians they say, is from the same Celtic belief, which was that they believed the ghosts and spirits come out on that night, and they go around to everybody's homes and they do harm to them, unless you provide them some offering of the milk and the chocolates, etc., so now the trick or treat is based upon that. Trick, meaning if you don't give me a treat, I'm gonna do some trick to you. And if you do give me a treat, I leave you. The origin of that, the Celtic belief, the ghosts, they come and they will do tricks upon you, unless you give them a treat, some offering. So even the roots of that, as some historians they say, is based upon this old Celtic belief that the ghosts are going to come to all of the houses and do tricks on you, unless you give them some treats and leave something at the door. So it was all based upon this superstition. It was all based upon these superstitious ideas of theirs, based upon them believing the ghosts, they come out of their graves on that night, the spirits, they come out and roam on that night. And so they used to think we need to protect ourselves from the ghosts and the spirits. They would dress up. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons why the Celts used to dress up and the others throughout history dress up on the night of Halloween in ghost dresses and costumes 
One of the reasons the historians mention is because they believed when you go out of your house on the night of Halloween, the night when the ghosts are out, you costume yourself and dress yourself like a ghost so that when you're out there, the ghosts don't recognize you. And the ghosts don't do harm to you. That is mentioned by the historians. This is what the people used to believe. They used to believe the ghosts are out there. So if you leave your house, dress up in some costume, dress up some costume, and so as a consequence, when you go out, you are mingling in with all of the ghosts that are out there. So no harm will come to you. They will think you are one of them. That is mentioned by the historians. You can see what types of beliefs led to this festival, this event. Beliefs which in Islam we know are completely incorrect. Beliefs that this is a night where the spirits will come out. This is a night where the ghosts will come out and they will haunt you and they will do bad to you. Is that something established in our religion? No, not at all. That you need to protect yourself from these ghosts and spirits by offering sacrifices to them or offering some types of offerings to them which became tradition in the societies to give cookies and candy on that night. They say in certain societies across the world, in certain economies, a quarter of all sweets that are sold, are sold at the time of Halloween. A quarter of the sweets sold in their economies, are sold at this one couple of weeks period in the year. Halloween. Because everybody is doing the trick or treat. And everybody is getting the treats. This is what has become of this event. And this is where it began from. Began from roots and origins of shirk. Where those priests believed the ghosts were coming out. And they believed it would help them to tell the future. Various beliefs they had of superstition. Superstition about ghosts and spirits. And wanting to have some interaction with them. Or to ward them from their evil. We know Islamically these types of beliefs are not correct. We know Islamically these types of beliefs are completely incorrect. We know that this belief of ghosts coming and you need to give them something to keep them safe. Or keep you safe from them is completely incorrect. In fact we know Islamically that Allah told us that this is completely incorrect. In the Qur'an Allah mentions regarding the people in Jahiliyyah, the Arabs in Jahiliyyah, when they used to go traveling, when they used to go traveling and they came across a deserted valley on their route. They were traveling somewhere and on the way they come across a scary deserted valley. Mountains and dark valleys they need to cross to get to their home. So what did they used to do? They knew there were jinn in those valleys. They knew there were jinn in those valleys. So what did they used to do? They used to call upon the leader of the jinn. Call upon the leader of the jinn. 
and ask him for protection from the rest of the jinn. Allah said in the Quran, this only made the humans weaker in one tafsir of the ayah. And it made the jinn stronger because the jinn then realized how fearful the humans are of them. That the humans were seeking guardianship and safe guard, safe passage, asking the leader of the jinn, help us and protect us from the other jinn. We as Muslims do not do that. Our trust and dependence is in Allah. We do not have this fear of jinn and ghosts and spirits as the people they talk about in society. Rather our trust is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our dependence is in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we make al-isti'adha, when we ask for protection, we ask from Allah. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Say that I seek refuge in Allah, the Lord of the dawn break, and that I seek refuge in Allah, the Lord of all of mankind, humankind. We seek refuge in Allah and we ask Allah for protection. And so it is a big mistake that people have such fear of jinn. Jinn is going to do this and jinn is going to do that. You do not have this excessive fear. Your trust is in Allah. Your fear is in Allah. Do not fear the jinn like that, how the people have become now. The jinn, they are like us. There are Muslims in them. There are non-Muslims in them. There are good ones in them. There are bad ones in them. But you do not fear the jinn in this way like ghosts and spirits and what they talk about in society. As a Muslim we know and we've been taught what to do. In fact, there is even a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ spoke about ghosts, ghouls, the ghouls as they call them. In the narration it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ was explaining that a Muslim does not fall into these types of superstitions. Qala النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا عدوى ولا طيرة ولا هامة ولا صفر and also ولا نوء ولا غول the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم warned us against six things here the first one لا عدوى عدوى is when they used to believe that diseases can transfer one to the other automatically, by themselves. If somebody is ill and you go next to him, they believed the disease will transfer itself. Haram, that is not the case. Allah is the one that causes it. You could go and sit next to somebody with a disease, and you come out, and you haven't caught it. That is from Allah the decree whether you catch it or not. Not that the disease itself will make you catch it. Secondly, la tayra. Tayra. Again, in the old times, they used to have these superstitions. Nowadays, how you talk about the black cat, and walking under a ladder, and Friday the 13th, and Halloween, and all of these types of things. The Prophet ﷺ said, la tayra. There is no such thing as these omens. 
Because in the olden days, what did they used to do? Nowadays they say Friday 13th, all these things. In the olden days, in the morning, they would go out to the rock. And they would throw it at the tree where the birds were sitting in the morning. When you throw a rock at the tree and the birds are in it, what do the birds do? Fly out. So when the birds used to fly out, if they all flew out to the right hand side, they would say, excellent, this is a good sign. It's going to be a good luck day today. Let's go out and do what we need to do, do our business today. But if they threw the stone and the birds all flew out to the left, they would say today is going to be a bad luck day. The birds flew out from the left. Don't go to business today. Don't go and open your shop today. Just stay at home. The Prophet ﷺ said there is none of that in Islam. This is not from Islam, these superstitions like this. More than that, Laham, the owl. Now they say black cat. In those days they used to say the owl. They used to believe a superstition. That if an owl came and sat on your roof, on your house, that was bad luck. And they used to believe that if somebody was murdered in your family, if an owl came and sat, that was like the spirit of the dead person who'd been murdered in your family. The spirit of him in that owl coming and sitting in your house. And they believed that they could hear the owl saying, Take revenge for me. Take revenge for me. They used to believe that. They used to have these superstitions about the hour landing on your home. Saying that if you don't go and take revenge, this is bad luck, something evil is going to happen to you. The owl landed on your roof. Similarly, they had suffer. This was the Islamic month. Now how we say the 13th, Friday the 13th, the people talk about in the olden days, they had similar things. This month, they would say, is a month of bad luck. A whole month. Now they say, just Friday the 13th. Then they used to say, the whole month is bad luck month. They used to say, don't get married in this month. Don't open a new business in this month. Don't do anything in this month. Don't go traveling in this month. It is a month of bad luck. And the Prophet ﷺ explained again that is completely incorrect. Then also, beyond that the Prophet ﷺ said, Wala no, there is no such thing as these star signs. Star signs and trying to work out the future and what's gonna happen to somebody from the star signs. And saying that it is the star signs which are impacting upon what occurs in the decree. All of that again is completely false. And the last one the Prophet ﷺ mentioned here, وَلَا And there is no such omens or bad belief regarding the ghouls, the ghosts, the ghouls. And that is because in the olden times it is mentioned, it used to occur and maybe now too, that when they used to go traveling somewhere, if they were in some deserted place, they're out traveling alone in the desert somewhere, what happens? You start hearing things. You're alone out in the desert in the pitch black darkness. You start to hear things. 
you start to see things. Just like now, the kids, you go upstairs and the lights aren't turned on. Then you get scared. You start to hear voices. You start to hear things. You start to imagine things. You need to put the light on quickly. So in the example mentioned is when they used to travel out in the darkness in the deserts, they used to hear things. And they used to see things. And that was the shayateen. The jinn of the shayateen coming and trying to scare them. Coming in the appearance of like some monster. It's mentioned. Coming in the appearance of like some monster out in the desert scaring this person, this figure. Or making noises, scary noises. They would hear them. But with that type of thing, what do you do? If that occurs, if the shayateen of the jinn do that type of thing, out in the wilderness, in the deserted areas, then what did the Prophet ﷺ say? إِذَا تَغَوَّلَتِ الْغَيَلَانِ فَبَادِرُوا بِالْأَذَانِ If you're out there, and these things happen, you hear the voices, you see the, the strange figures and the shapes and these monsters that you think, it's the shayateen, the jinn doing it. Then what do you do? Make the adhan, the Prophet ﷺ said. Make the adhan, because that adhan is the adhan of tawheed. Proclaiming the oneness and the might and the majesty of Allah. It will scare away and it will remove those shayateen of the jinn who are playing with you. Those shayateen of the jinn who are performing what they are performing to cause fear in you. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned regarding that. And he said, Optimism is something which pleases me. A Muslim is optimistic about the affairs. He's not somebody pessimistic. He's not somebody going out there saying, tonight all the ghosts are out. Tonight all the spirits are out. We need to get some sweets and we need to please the ghosts and the spirits so they don't harm us. Is that the type of aqidah a Muslim is supposed to be on? Is that the aqidah the Prophet ﷺ taught us? This is not the aqidah we have been taught. This is not the Islam that we have been taught. So we do not engage in these types of activities. We do not engage in these types of customs. Customs which are inherently built, as many of the historians believe, upon pagans and their beliefs and the shirk they were upon. Believing these ghosts come out and these spirits come out. All of them come out of their graves and you need to keep them happy on that night. I'm believing you need to dress up like them so you mix in and don't get harmed by them. These are the types of beliefs where these festivities and customs came from. So a Muslim doesn't just randomly say, what's the big deal, it's only nothing. You need to look at what's going on with these customs. Look at where they came from and what their roots are. So we know this custom of Halloween, the trick-or-treat has a root with the mushrikeen. They used to believe the ghosts will come and do tricks on you unless you give them some treats. Put something, an offering at your doorstep, otherwise they'll do harm to you. And that is the basis of this custom where the kids, they come dressed up and they say, trick or treat. Either give us some treat or we'll do some trick to you. 
They are pretending to be those ghosts that they used to believe in in olden times. They come and do the tricks to you and the bad to you unless you give them something of a treat. That is the basis of that act. That is the root of that act as many of the historians say. Dressing up in all of these costumes, again the Celts used to do it as we said. The root of that is from there, believing that they would protect themselves from the ghosts. All of these activities have a basis to them which is clearly not an Islamic basis whatsoever. In fact, it is in complete opposition to Islam. Complete opposition to Islam. Did the Prophet ﷺ ever tell us about ghosts coming out on the 31st of October? Spirits coming out on the 31st of October? That you can communicate with them and all of these other things which they do. The Ouija board and everything. Haram, complete shirk. For you to get engaged and to even watch or to do these Ouija board and these things. Haram, shirk. To get involved in that type of thing. And perhaps the jinn will play with you. And the jinn will impact upon you. Because the jinn can, they can. They can come and enter upon a person. And if you engage in those types of activities where you are seeking to invite the jinn, then that is not something a wise man does. Not something you engage in with these activities of shirk and kufr, the Ouija boards and the magic and other things and the spirits and the crystal balls. That is not permissible for a Muslim. None of this means, it doesn't mean that we cannot live harmoniously in the society. For those who practice this in the society, they practice it. A Muslim does not practice it because his belief does not, does not mention these activities, does not mention these customs. So a Muslim does not engage in those activities. And there is no harm in that. That is completely harmonious. You are not causing any problems, you are not going against society. In fact, there are many people who are not Muslims who do not engage in these acts. The little old lady who lives on my street, at this time of year, gets very angry. Very angry at all of this trick-or-treating and the fireworks going off. She gets very angry at these types of festivals, disturbing her peace. So a Muslim practices his religion does not try to copy other religions, does not try to copy other societies. Because the Prophet ﷺ said to us, مَن تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ Whoever copies people, then you are going to be from them. You want to copy the people who are not Muslims performing these customs and festivals, and you want to do trick-or-treating, and you want to wear the costumes and ghosts. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, if you're going to copy them, then you are from them. You do not want to be from the disbelievers, from the kuffar. A Muslim practices his religion and has honor in his religion, has honor in practicing Islam, and knows that you will be accountable for your practice of your religion. So do not take things lightly. We practice Islam properly, and we live harmoniously, and we do not behave like the khawarij and the takfiris and the ikhwan al-muslimin. This society, they practice their Halloween. So be it. It is not in the control of you or I. 
But us as Muslims, we do not need to engage in that. And we can live harmoniously without engaging in it absolutely 100%. You stay in your home on the 31st of October and you read your Quran, you memorize, you do what you normally do. And that's it. You have done no harm to anybody. You have done no harm to anybody. So there is no contradiction in the affair. You practice your religion, you practice Islam, you do not get engaged in customs and traditions which are not Islamic. And by not getting involved, you are not causing any friction. It is completely harmonious. You are in your home on the 31st of October, like millions of other people will just be sitting in their homes on the 31st of October, not engaging in these activities. And that is absolutely fine, and nobody will say anything in against that. So a Muslim needs to be upon the practice of his religion. And not to get involved in customs and traditions that are rooted and sourced and originated from activities of shirk and kufr. Activities believing the jinn and the spirits and the ghosts come out. These are not Islamic beliefs. So do not bring up your children with these types of activities. Do not bring up your children with these types of festivities. It's no big deal. It is. Because these festivities and these customs are completely based upon, according to many historians, shirk. Based upon shirk and kufr. So that is briefly what we intended to mention regarding this Halloween. We've now come to understand and learn that it isn't just a random thing that is done. There are roots to it. Those roots are from the pagans, from the Celts, from the Christians even, where they used to perform these customs of staying safe from the ghosts as they believed, and giving treats to them. So you are not going to want to practice that type of thing. You do not want to be doing that as a Muslim, and you know these activities were done originally by those mushrikeen, trying to keep away the ghosts as they believed. How can a Muslim engage in that type of thing? You do not. So a Muslim needs to practice his religion and control himself and his children and educate them properly about Islam and not to be involved in all types of customs which may well be rooted in shirk as many of the historians say Halloween is. So that is briefly what we'll mention then. If there's any questions regarding that then, we can perhaps try and answer some of those now before the Isha prayer. How do we respond to someone who believes in things like if the eye twitches, then good or bad will happen? How do we respond to them when they say a bad thing always happens whenever my eye twitches?
So regarding this question about the eye twitching and that a person believes every time it twitches then something bad happens, then how do we respond to them? Perhaps you could respond to them firstly by taking them to a GP or something, get the eye checked out just in case there's some sort of problem and then you could also explain to them that this belief of yours is absolute and utter rubbish. Because that is the reality. People, they fall into these types of beliefs due to their lack of practice of this religion. The lack of them reciting their du'as in the morning, reciting their du'as after the prayers, reciting their du'as in the evening. People have neglected and become completely absent-minded regarding these things. Hardly remember. But every time the eye twitches, now all of a sudden they've got it into their head. It's got to be that. What has become of you? What has become of you that this belief has overcome you? How much weakness have you experienced to end up in this belief that my eye twitches and that means something bad? It is ridiculous. And for a person of this nature, you need to sit them down and break this mentality. Tell them it is ridiculous. Perhaps some harshness in certain circumstances is good for nasiha, as the scholars they mention. Sometimes a bit of harshness to snap somebody out of this mentality they've gone into is required. You may need to be harsh, sit them down and tell them, sit them down and tell them your belief is ridiculous. You are making an absolute fool of yourself to think this. You need to be told that. Because if you're not, and we're gentle and we say, no, no, it's this, no, it's that, then upon your blocked mental state, you're going to carry on thinking the eye, the eye. What has become of you? This is nothing of Islam that we've been taught. Your eye twitches and it is bad. It is not. So the person needs to think and snap themselves out of this. Do your adhkar. Do your supplications of the morning, the evening, the night. Go to sleep upon wudu. Pray your prayers properly. Remember and make dua in your prostration. Have your trust and dependence in Allah. And lose all of these types of thoughts and ideas that you have.
How did Halloween get its name? The name Halloween, this particular name, the historians, they say in their research that it came from the Christian festival that used to be on that night. And that was termed something along the lines of All Hallows Eve or something. All Hallows Eve or something along those lines. Hallows meaning saints. Because for them this night was the night of the saints. Their pious saints as they used to believe. So it was something along the lines of All Hallows Eve, which was then summarized into Halloween. That is what the historians they say the name of Halloween came from. The Christian festival celebrating their saints. So look at even the name. Even the name from that Christian festival of celebrating their saints. I know someone who believes flying over water or traveling to another country wards off the evil. I or any harm that the family are suffering. What would you advise them please? So this time it's even more of a problem than the twitching eye. Because this time this person is going to have to keep buying lots of airplane tickets. Which cost a lot of money. For a person to believe that the evil eye can only be taken away if you fly over water. Then at the minimum you've got to fly over to France or to Ireland or somewhere. Again we say to these people... The same as we said about the twitching eye. What has become of you to believe these things? How weak have you become in your religion? And your trust in Allah and your dependence in Allah. Trust in Allah. Have your trust in your Creator, in your Lord. Turn to Him in dua. Ask for what you require. Ask Allah to protect you from the evil eye. Make dua with that firm resolution in your heart. That your Lord will answer your dua. Not that you sit on a plane and you spend hundreds of pounds wasting your money. That the shaitan has made you waste your money. The shaitan makes you waste your 100, 200, 300 pounds. Booking tickets to fly thinking on the aeroplane. It's going to take away the evil eye. That is from the whisperings of the shaitan upon you. Have your trust in Allah. Know that Allah answers your dua. وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ دُعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ Allah said, call upon me and I will answer your dua. In the hadith where it is mentioned in the last third of the night, يَنزِلُ رَبُّنَا إِلَى السَّمَاءِ dunya. Allah comes, descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night and says, مَنْ يَسْتَغْفِرُنِي فَأَغْفِرَ Who is asking my forgiveness, I'll forgive them. مَنْ يَسْأَلُنِي فَأَعْطِيَ Who is asking me for anything and I'll give it to them. Who is seeking forgiveness or seeking repentance, I'll give it to them. Raise your hands and have your heart connected to your Lord. Make dua and ask Allah for protection, ask Allah to remove the harm from you. Not be convinced by the whisperings of the shaitan to waste hundreds of pounds believing you need to travel across water to ward off the evil eye. That is from the weakness of a person's iman, from the weakness of a person's belief. So you need to rectify your heart. Rectify your heart with supplication and dua and remembrance. Guard over your prayers. Make dua in sujood. Connect yourselves to your Creator. Have your dependence and trust in Him. And that will aid you and strengthen you.
Would you say that you are inviting the jinn if you watch, read about ghosts or magic? It doesn't really matter whether you are or not. What matters is that it's haram in the first place. It is haram to get involved in these issues of superstition and magic. It is haram to read your star signs, for example. A person might say, just out of interest, let's see what they say. Just out of interest, let's see what they're saying about my star sign. I'm Capricorn, I'm Sagittarius, I'm this, I'm that. Let's see what they're saying, just out of interest. Just for fun. Haram. Haram to read it out of interest, just for fun. Watching the TV, saying we're going to watch this magician and that magician. Magic show coming on tonight. He says he's going to chop his hand off, he's going to chop his body in half. They say they're going to do it live on the show. It's going to be a live broadcast. Let's just see out of interest. We don't believe in that. I know magic is haram. But let's just watch it to see out of interest. Haram. In fact, some of the scholars even say, the narration about your prayer not being accepted for 40 days if you go to a magician, applies if you're watching it on TV as well. Watching it on TV by any other mode of communication, by any other means, it all applies the hadith to you. That is the severity of this issue of superstition and magic and crystal balls and reading your palms and future. All of this is absolutely haram. So whether it invites them or not is a secondary issue. You need to be worried more about the primary issue, which is that you are performing absolute haram in getting involved in this, and your prayers may not be accepted for 40 days. So of course the answer is, absolutely you do not read about these things, you do not get involved in it, you don't watch it, you don't go to it, you stay away from those affairs, as we have been commanded to do. When you're in your home... You are in charge of your home. Somebody knocks on your door, do you have to go and open it? You don't have to go and open it. It's completely up to you. It's completely up to you. You don't have to go and open the door. So if you're relaxing, and you're getting disturbed by knocks on the door every few minutes, then just don't open it. Stay relaxing. You don't have to open the door. There is no obligation upon you to open the door. In fact, it's your right. It's your home. It's your right. Whether you open the door or not. So if you don't want any issue, you don't want any trouble, just don't open the door. It's completely up to you. There is no harm in that whatsoever. And that will be the easiest way to keep yourself out of any issue with anything. These lanterns and the pumpkins, all of these types of things come from the same old festivals. It was the belief of some of them, the Celts or some of the others, that on the night of Halloween, no meat is allowed. So they used to put out all types of other vegetable options. And the pumpkin became famous. Lanterns and these types of things all became famous. Uh, the apples that they have, the apple bobbing things that they do. All of these are customs that came 
from their practices about the ghosts and warding away the ghosts and keeping away the ghosts. So lanterns and pumpkins and all of these things became popular on that festival. Anything else? To protect your homes, to guard your homes, is it okay to put up ayat of the Qur'an like many people in their houses? You go to their homes and somewhere in their house they will have a portrait of ayatul kursi. Or they will have the three quls. And they'll have other ayat of the Qur'an, nice frames, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, they buy them from the shops, and they put them on their walls in their homes, believing that this will help their home and guard it and protect it. Ayatul Kursi there, the three quls there, or the four quls there. They believe these types of things will protect our homes. Quran on the walls. The reality is this is not permissible. The Quran was not revealed to be made into ornaments and decoration, to be put into frames and posters on the wall. That is not the purpose of the Qur'an. As Shaykh al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, the Qur'an was sent for you to read and ponder over, not make posters and frames, beautiful hundred pounds and put them on the wall. That is not correct. You want to guard over your home? Then do what the sunnah says. Read Surah Al-Baqarah. Because as the hadith mentions, لا يستطيعها البطلة The shayateen, they cannot handle Surah Al-Baqarah. So in your homes, read Surah Al-Baqarah. And playing it on a cassette is not really sufficient. You need to read it. Read Surah Al-Baqarah in your homes as an example. To guard yourselves in your homes. Because the shayateen, they cannot handle it as the hadith says. So take the right necessary means. You do all of your du'as. Read your du'as in the morning, evening, after the prayers. Do all of the supplications. That is the correct way. Not to just stick the posters up on the wall. Nobody ever looks at them. They just become a decoration piece. That is not what the Qur'an is for. Going out after? After Maghrib, it is not suitable to be outside. It is mentioned in the narrations that the shayateen of the jinn, they come out at night after Maghrib. So it is not suitable for the children to be out after Maghrib. Rather be inside, close your doors and close the windows of your home and remain indoors. And it's not suitable to send out the kids after dark. The Day of the Dead, and all of these other festivals, everything of this type of nature where they believe the dead come out of their graves, and the spirits come out, and the souls come out, and the ghosts come out. We know all of that is completely baseless. It is completely made up. Nothing to do with the reality. Who has told you the ghosts come out and the spirits come out? These types of festivals, all of them are impermissible. Day of the Dead and Halloween and these things, you do not engage in these types of events. So we'll conclude there for tonight then.
The refreshments are still there after the prayer, inshallah. Huh. Parents need to take an active role in educating their families. Protect yourselves and your families from the fire. Your children are a responsibility around your necks. You will be questioned regarding their upbringing. It is upon you, a responsibility upon you. So now, when the majority of Muslims, they don't really care about these things, even the elders, their kids, it's no problem. They'll happily just engage in whatever festival, whatever custom. And you've taught your kids that as Muslims, we don't really get involved in that. There's no problem. We don't cause any friction, but we don't get involved. You teach your children that. Educate your children about that. And if the others are doing it, you explain to your children that this is the correct thing. And those other people don't understand. They haven't understood And so inshallah, it can be explained to them and we'll try and tell them. But what they are doing is wrong, you are definitely right. Because Islamically, this is the right thing. So explain to your children so they understand that the others, maybe they don't understand, they haven't learnt, but you have learnt and this is what is right. And this is what the religion teaches us. So that they don't get overwhelmed by the majority out there who may not care about these things. So that the children understand, this is correct even if the majority don't understand. But it's upon the parents to be firm on this. Don't allow this just to be open and do what you want and do the pumpkins and do everything else and get him involved in all of these activities. Then you are the ones leading them down that pathway. So do not lead them down that pathway. Explain to them properly and carefully and the kids will understand. And when other kids are doing it, you explain to your children that those people haven't understood yet. They haven't learned yet, but this is what is right. Bonfire night. It is not appropriate or suitable to make fires and do bonfire night. That is another custom regarding Guy Fawkes and the attempt to blow up parliament. And so they celebrate the salvation of parliament and the exposure of Guy Fawkes. All of these types of things, you don't do them. You don't make the fires, you don't make the bonfires. There is no need to be involved in that type of affair and it is not correct to do so. Question says, my brother hasn't spoken to me in three weeks because he is angry with me. What advice would you give in this affair? It is impossible to give any type of specific advice with a question general of that nature. But generally speaking, completely generally speaking, without knowing any details of anything on this particular issue, then a Muslim, particularly with your own brothers and sisters, then of course you need to strive to be upon goodness with one another, to fulfill the rights of one another. And if you see that somebody has become angry, Look at your own shortcomings. 
Maybe it was a shortcoming from you that caused the anger. And even if it wasn't, even if that other person was in the wrong, then perhaps you can be the one who is greater in your nobility. And you can allow the matter to pass. And you can allow that wrong to be forgiven in order for the rectification to occur. But make dua, make dua that Allah makes the matter rectified, Allah makes the affair easy, and strive to do what you are able to do if genuinely your right was taken and the other person is in the wrong, maybe you can try to forgive and let your right go for the sake of rectification. Like we said, even if other people are celebrating it, then you need to know that what you are doing is what pleases Allah. You are doing what pleases Allah. Is it pleasing that you go and celebrate or get involved in an event which is based upon shirk? Is it pleasing to Allah that you get involved in an event where they believe ghosts are coming out? and spirits are coming out, and the dead are coming alive. Is that pleasing to Allah that you do things like that? Of course not. So you do not do things which please the people. You do things that please your Lord. What is going to please your Creator. And that's why it mentions in the narration, if all your objective is, is to please the people, you're never going to get that objective. You're never going to be able to please all of the people anyway. So you don't try and please the people at the expense of your religion. Please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if the people get angry with you and don't like you. You perform your worship and obedience to Allah. Because if you do that, then inshallah, from that righteousness, Allah will make the affair easy for you and those people easy with you afterwards. But if you go out there trying to please the people, at the displeasure of Allah then that is a calamity and a disaster. The young children, even before the age of puberty, the good deeds can be written. That they are rewarded for the good deeds that they do. Even the young children. So if the young children do this, knowing that this is Islamically what you're supposed to do, not get involved with it, then that will be good deeds for you. And Allah will be pleased with you. And it will be written for you. So even the children, those good deeds will be written for you and there will be rewards for you. So do this for the sake of Allah, knowing that this is what you're supposed to do, knowing that you can't get involved for the sake of Allah. So we'll round it off there for tonight then. And inshallah ta'ala, in the next session in two weeks time, we'll come back to the book that we were studying the delights of the heart, the ahadith that we've been going through. In two weeks time, inshallah, we'll go back to that. Tonight, mashallah, you see that there is a lot of attendance, that the people have made an effort to try and come to learn the religion. And really, this is what is required on a regular basis. Regularly, here in this masjid, every Friday and every Saturday night, there are classes going on like this. Every Friday, every Saturday, two classes a week. And other classes, Quran and other things too. But you should make a strong effort like this. 
all of your lives and everything you do in your lives. One hour a week or two hours a week. Friday night for an hour, an hour and a half. Saturday night, an hour, an hour and a half. The rest of the week you're doing what you're doing. This one or two sittings in the week. These could be the moments that change your life. These could be the moments that determine you entering into paradise. You know, Imam Ahmed, they said to him once, one of the great scholars of the past, when are you going to stop learning about hadith? So many million, thousands. When are you going to stop learning about hadith? He said, when? When? He said, how do I know when I will come across a single hadith? That hadith might impact on me so much. It could be the reason for me entering paradise. So you come to these gatherings of one hour, one and a half hours in the week. And perhaps you hear something in these gatherings. You hear some ayah of the Qur'an, you hear some hadith, which impacts on your heart and it changes you for the better. Changes you from being a person of sadness to a person of happiness and a person of paradise. So do not miss these opportunities. Such a small amount of your time. Work out the percentage. One and a half hours on a Friday, one and a half hours on a Saturday. Three hours a week. How many hours in a week? 24 hours times seven. Out of all of that figure, three hours. That's all that's required. Even if you couldn't do three hours, pick one of the two nights. At least one hour, one and a half hours out of your whole week. And maybe in that one hour, one and a half hours, you hear something which causes you to enter paradise in the end. So don't waste these opportunities when it is so little the effort. So little the effort. But the shaitan, he comes and wants to keep you away. So make sure you strive on Friday and Saturday nights. So we'll round it off for there now. Pray the Isha prayer and then afterwards the uh, refreshments are still there again.